and welcome to the St Emlyn's podcast. I'm Simon Carley. And I'm Ross Fisher. And Ross Fisher, I'll get him to introduce himself in a second, but we're down here at the London Trauma Conference. It's December 2015 and we've had an amazing day. We've heard lots and lots of different things from major incidents to paediatric trauma to blood clotting, all aspects of pre-hospital care and emergency care and definitive care of the trauma patient. But we're really delighted to be joined by Ross today. Ross, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, So I'm a consultant paediatric surgeon. I work in Sheffield Children's Hospital. I'm responsible for trauma at the Children's Hospital, but the the main hat that I wear is chairman of Tarnlet, the paediatric version of Tarn. Okay, and Tarn, the Trauma Audit Research Network, has recently just come through, I think, is it 25th anniversary? That's correct. An amazing body of work has come out of there. And if you're interested, you can go to the EMJ Journal. Just done a souvenir issue on that. It's a really good read. And it's driven a lot of trauma care in the UK, both in adults and in children. So, Ross, you spoke earlier this morning about the management of paediatric trauma in the UK. And in particular, who should be looking after it? What were the main things that you were trying to get across there? I think everyone has an opinion on who should manage paediatric trauma and those are usually based on local practice, a bit of education and often some unfortunate politics. And what I challenged the conference within the first few slides was, who would you want to look after your children? The reality is that the answer to that question first and second time around is sadly not the same that we're prepared to let just about anyone look after children, but when it comes to our own, if they're unfortunately injured, we have issues about where they're looked after. And it was dealing with those issues. It is interesting, isn't it? Physicians have very clear ideas about who they want to get uh, their children treated by. And in particular, it's not even just a service, it's sometimes down to individuals. So the challenges are for paediatric trauma is that how do you get the child who requires expert management to the expertise? Because there are some significant challenges in doing that. I don't have the answer. Damn. This is going to be a really short (laughs) Short podcast. Thank you very much. No, no, come on. We can do better than that. I don't have the answer because I think it's very complex. I don't have a huge experience in trauma management, but I do look at the Tarnlet database. So the good news is that the new Tarnlet report will be coming out in the next month, which is the assessment of management of paediatric major trauma for 2013 and 14. So we have a huge data set now on what actually is happening to children. So the thing, one of the many things that intrigues me is that despite the trauma reorganisation, we still have the majority of trauma patients, paediatric major trauma patients, delivered to non-specialist trauma units. And why do you think that is? Is that a problem with the system or is it a nature of the actual pathology itself? I think, again, it's very complex. It's the system and it's that transporting between the centres is an issue too. The reality is that our uh, centres are so widely spread that transporting a child to your nearest major trauma centre may involve an hour or two in a vehicle out with the, the metropolis. And so it's very difficult to get a child to a major trauma centre straight away. Additionally, the sickest children should not be bypassed. They should go to the nearest facility to be resuscitated. So as the twin problems of 
staff not being trained to look after children, but then also receiving the sickest children to stabilise, resuscitate and then transfer on. So there's some real challenges there from a process point of view, both in terms of the clinical skills in those hospitals which may not receive that much paediatric trauma, but the stuff that they're going to get is going to be really sick, and also the transportation times, which would give real problems, particularly around the sensitivity and the specificity of deciding who might or might not be major trauma. It is a big problem, and I think that's why we have yet to find a simple answer to it. I was involved in the clinical advisory groups for trauma reorganisation and we dreamed the dream that children would be transferred to paediatric major trauma units. The reality of that, however, is not going to happen, I think, in the short term. Because it's too complex, it involves high-level communication and identification of sick children and the reality of that is we're not actually very good at it. The confounding factors to those figures are first of all the high incidence of child abuse presenting as major trauma which of course comes undetected to peripheral units and also the fact that one quarter of children are delivered with major injuries not by ambulance or helicopter but by their parents so scoop and run by parents or bystanders and so those things add to the burden of major trauma at peripheral hospitals. And of course, if they're coming through non-traditional means, then a typical parent won't be aware of the major trauma network. They will go to their local department. Which may be an emergency hospital and a major trauma unit, but not necessarily a paediatric major trauma unit. So significant challenges there. We're not going to get away from the possibility of seriously injured children in any hospital, essentially. But real challenges in terms of teaching and training and being prepared for those rare cases. They are very rare, and that's the difficulty. And yet most of us train to deal with the very rare cases. The problem of training is that emergency medicine is not training in paediatric emergency medicine. It's a a separate discipline. And so I do think that that's something that we need to address. We're not going to get training as we do for virtually everything else by experience. It simply doesn't happen. And additionally, that experience is so random that it's, it's almost of little value that learning in Centre A, it's not going to be for many years until Centre A would see the same major trauma again. Historically, as an emergency medicine trainee, we dealt with combined departments, and certainly if you're in a large department, you would see paediatric cases come through. But I think as emergency medicine has developed in the UK now, you do a block of training quite quite early on as an emergency medicine trainee, a block of paediatric training. You find people get quite experienced or certainly exposed during that training but then it tails off and you can go for in training now you can go for a year 18 months and see no children and then come out as a consultant with relatively little exposure but again still potentially be required to manage those patients and I think that's a real challenge. Yes that's the long and the short of it it is a challenge my brief was to challenge the ideas and I hope I, as ever, I am not an expert but simply to suggest to people that we need to think about paediatric trauma. The, the numbers are clear that peripheral units don't get the best outcomes but also I think it's an important thing to recognise that major trauma units treating children don't get as good outcomes as paediatric units do. Now, one side of that argument would be to send them all to paediatric units. I would suggest the other is that we should all train to do paediatric trauma. 
because we can't cope with the volume, we don't have the transport infrastructure, and we don't have communication. But how we manage that to get the marginal gains that I spoke about, like the so Dave Brailsford's improvement, is to get a little bit better at everything, rather than decide that we are going to be a major trauma unit for paediatrics. I did like the thing about marginal gains, and we've talked about that on St. Emlyn's before, that it's not always the great new technology that's going to arrive, but it's about doing sensible things well. Now, you weren't nihilistic about this. You actually gave a number of ideas about how we can improve, and quite a few of those were about learning from each other and, in a way, almost outreaching from areas of expertise into other areas. It's almost perverse that what we should be doing is spreading the wisdom out the way rather than concentrating it centrally. But, as you yourself pointed out, it's about making the best in the initial care and then seeking advice for the, the further care that needs to be delivered. One of the suggestions I had is simply using a mobile phone. We all have them, and as I said, our children use them all the time, and yet so very few of us seek immediate advice when managing complex cases from friends and colleagues who would be able to advise us. I've learned that from the adult trauma networks, that the HEMS guys are able to advise distant centres about what to do, and I do think we should pick up on that on paediatric trauma management to help make those marginal gains, because those are the things that are going to improve the care, not a redesign of the whole system. And I think using technology in that way to gain insight to what's actually going on, to get more fidelity about what's happening at a distance is obviously really important. I'm sure there's somebody out there who will go, oh gosh, there'll be a huge confidentiality issue. But I really don't think that, that couldn't be overcome. And there are secure networks around there that can allow you to do this sort of thing. I work both in adult and paediatric emergency medicine, but actually in two separate centres. So it's a separate MTC and a separate adult MTC. And I see variation in how the patients are managed. And you talked about how that could be used as a quality indicator for the management of paediatric care. It's interesting that uh, a ruptured spleen as an individual diagnosis is actually very important and clear marker of the quality of care. That there is concern that there is a splenic injury and something should be done about it. But the evidence from numerous studies is that splenectomy rates for the same grade of injury is higher in non-specialist paediatric units. In other words, as you're suggesting, that an adult general surgeon faced with a grade four laceration and potentially an unstable child will take the child to theatre and take their spleen out, as they would correctly do, probably, with their adult patients. The evidence for us is great that it has a lower morbidity, a lower mortality, a lower blood use, a quicker discharge and a quicker return to activity by not taking their spleen out. And it's then interesting to compare outcomes for hospitals who have higher splenectomy rates and see that their care, although not poor, is of a lower quality than paediatrics. And I think it's important to emphasise that it's not about bad quality care, but just not being as good as the paediatric centre. And that, that was the emphasis, that paediatric centres work because we have specialists, anaesthetists, surgeons, intensivists, nurses, radiologists, and emergency medicine specialists and together as a team they make a better outcome whereas in the district hospitals although they have may have some emergency medicine input the adult general surgeons 
know very little about managing paediatric trauma patients. And that's why, in their belief, which is reasonable, they do a procedure which is of a poorer prognosis. And we heard a little bit more about that from one of our radiology colleagues today, talking about the differential whole-body CT rates between paediatric MTCs, mixed MTCs, and trauma units, and showing a decrease in the amount of radiation delivered to children in the specialist centres, and yet with better outcomes. So there is a degree of expertise there and a degree of conservative management as compared to adult data, which would seem to lead to better outcomes. It's interesting that we feel, as clinicians, if we're not sure, we should do more investigations. And so consequently, people faced with the uh, unusual situation of paediatric trauma feel that a pan-CT would be the appropriate thing to do. The reality is there are only 9% of children have polytrauma. And so the numbers of pan-CTs that should be done should be very, very much smaller than it is. It's understandable, but it's not the best for the child. And so it's about education. I was intrigued, having been part of the working party for this group, to hear people say later that it's only for people who don't do trauma, that it's not for me, I don't need to follow these guidelines, which is always a problem with guidelines. But I thought Dr. Landis was very clear in explaining that chest x-ray will identify every injury you need to know about in a child unless there's a penetrating injury and CT of the abdomen, including one centimetre above the diaphragm, will give you all of the information you need in the chest that will make a difference. When it comes down to it, a pan-CT is 1,000 chest x-rays and the reality is that these children have got significant risks of malignancy secondary to our investigation. If it's appropriate, we do it, but if it's not, we reduce it and that's the ALARA principle. There's a nice paper from Australia looking at the incidence of cancers in children who received CTs, and I think we reviewed it on St. Edmunds in the past. It's, a, it's worth a read. And there's also some good links on calculating the amount of radiation dose and potential malignancy rates from CTing children that came out of that study and others. And it is quite alarming. And I think what we have to remember is that if you CT an 85-year-old patient from head to toe, they don't have time between their CT and the inevitable things that happen to all of us, i.e. dying, to develop their malignancies, or very rarely. Whereas a child, if you CT somebody at the age of one, then they have a lifetime risk associated with that. So the risk-benefit ratio is very different, and certainly somebody who works in both centres, to be honest, if you're elderly, the incidence of finding polytrauma is much higher, and the risks of the radiation are much lower. Whole body CT is a great decision. In the children, I think you have to be much more cautious. I was intrigued yesterday speaking with one of our American colleagues who didn't quite believe that paediatric trauma is different from adult trauma. And it's only when you step back a bit and recognise that road traffic accident for an adult is rapid deceleration in a cage of death, whereas road traffic accident for a child is being hit by a car. The violence and energy involved causes very different injuries. And so the worry that adult physicians understandably have of a child hit by a car is because they take their adult experience, which is significant, and put it onto their expectation of a child. I always say to people, I have never done a damage control laparotomy for bleeding. I've never seen one in paediatric services, and I've never heard of one because they don't happen the child is either dead 
killed by a huge velocity impact, or they don't have significant bleeding. It's different. And I think some of those lessons are transferring into adult medicine now. I think we're seeing a certainly a diminution in the number of adult laparotomies as well. Although still, particularly for penetrating trauma, I think laparotomy is still indicated. Now, one of the things I've said in the past, and one of the things that we always like to talk about, is I've always said, you know, children are little adults or children are little adults. And I think it's probably worth getting some clarity around that. The reason why we've said those things in the past is not that we believe that children aren't different. They clearly are, and they clearly need the expertise. Sometimes we say that to just give the physician who's faced with a critically ill child a reason to act. I am sometimes concerned that people will get the impression that because paediatrics is different, it means that they can't do it. And I think we just need to reiterate to people that actually if you are there and you are the senior physician or you're part of the team, you still have a responsibility to do the best that you can for that child based on the knowledge that you have, any transferable skills. But please, pick up the phone, speak to somebody who's done this before, and get advice. They're dying to do it. Everybody at this conference has said, and who wouldn't? If somebody asks for help under those circumstances, it will be given. Phone a friend. I think the most sensitive instrument we have in the management of paediatric trauma is a telephone. And possibly in the future, even more than a telephone, perhaps even with some video if we can get oh, past the confidentiality. A smartphone. Let's a say, smartphone. I, I'll say that again. I think the most sensitive and useful instrument in the management of paediatric trauma is a smartphone. And even more than that, a smart person at the end of the smartphone. Two smart people. That would be absolutely superb. I think it's a real lesson that I've taken away from today, and I think people have been talking about it in the coffee sessions and over lunch as well. Ross, I think we'll bring it to a close there. That's really interesting, and I think it's, it's really made a lot of people think about how they're going to deal with a situation where we want the children to go to the expertise areas, but we can't quite do it at the moment. So we have to be prepared to do it. If you're not in a paediatric major trauma centre, you need to train and understand that it could happen to you. And if you are in a paediatric major trauma centre, you need to recognise that the people who are dealing with this may not be skilled, may be scared, and actually need a bit of help. And we need to outreach into those areas. I think those are great lessons. And I think if we all take that away, ultimately, children will get a better deal. Ross, thank you for your time. Pleasure. And we'll see you again, I think, on the St. Emlyn's podcast. <laughs>